0: Italian book club i'm on today with uh my friend caleb uh caleb how you doing
1: i'm good man how are you
0: doing great doing great so today we're going to talk about uh here's the birds uh the first what's how we how this kind of started how the podcast how we met on twitter kind of thing. you want to kind of elaborate a little bit on that or something
1: yeah um i i'm not a hundred percent sure uh how we exactly met i know like maybe like six months ago i had like Ninety followers on Twitter, and then I just trying to kind of started to get involved in like the Liberty Twitter sphere, and I've met a ton of really cool people that I interact with on like personal levels and like political levels, and uh you and I've had actually probably like ten or twelve interactions on Twitter about like a variety of things. um so I like really appreciate that kind of stuff. It's always a lot of fun to like meet people that you probably never would have met in real life. Uh, that's probably the best thing that Twitter's for.
0: Oh yeah, that memes. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) No, yeah. I would
1: say.
0: Uh, I think we had a conversation a while ago about uh, Austrian versus Chicago economics, and what is the best way to advertise to people. It was a very fun conversation.
1: Yeah, yeah. I Twitter is weird because I think it attracts a lot of people to be like um, provocative and like rude really and I personally hate that like I'll get into arguments with people on Twitter Twitter, that I vehemently disagree with that are really mean to me and I start almost every tweet off with like I really am sorry about us disagreeing so like when I meet someone that I actually like know there's like a foundational agreement about stuff I have way more fun because I feel like I can be like more honest and more open and less like polite kind of so I think that's kind of a cool thing that we've uh, experience, like, discussing or debating, like, Chicago school or Austrian school economics.
0: Yeah, no, it's been a lot of fun. So we're going over uh, Harrison One today. I'll put a link in the description uh, if they want to go and read it. It's a very good short story. Not too long. Very good. It's about, uh, I would say it's a dystopian future made by a guy who's clearly an absurdist. Yeah. It's very funny, very, very interesting. Uh, I, I read it once, I read it twice, and I sat and read it again. It was very good. And yeah. so, if uh, you want to kind of go over it a little bit, your history of this story, and anything you want to talk about, what's it? Just go right ahead.
1: Yeah. Um, so, my history with the short story is actually bizarre. Um, a little bit of background about myself actually, I graduated um, from Texas State University with a degree in English and my emphasis was on creative writing. So I wanted to go into writing specifically short stories. Um, and kind of one of my later classes I took in that program, I had American literature and so this is not going to be really a shock to anyone ever, but higher education is full of people that think that like classical Marxism is like right wing. Um, it's pretty (laughs) dominated by, uh, by left-wing ideologues, and uh, I took a class from like a self-proclaimed uh, postmodernist and like third-wave feminist who was born and raised in France, and she put this <clears throat> um, on the syllabus: this short story, uh, *Harrison Bergeron*. And I read it, and I mean, like you, it's it's like five pages long, so it's easy to read, like just back to back. And I kept thinking, like, where's the Marxism? Where's the postmodernism? Because this is so blatantly like a a dystopian a left-wing dystopian uh, world and I was like kind of confused Cause I was like I'm gonna go into class tomorrow and I'm gonna be talking about this passionately to probably a room full of people who at the very least the professor is gonna be like disagree with me but like you know surprisingly enough I go into the room and and we had a really pretty cool conversation about uh, the ideals of like enforced equality and like the damage that that does um, on the human soul um, we actually, we haven't uh, given any kind of uh, summary, would you want to just kind of recount uh, what the, the five, six pages are about?
0: So, uh, so it opens up, and there are these husband and wife uh, couple, and the book describes it as everybody having uh, weights on and the devices around their heads that uh, are smarter. It's kind of a forcing quality to the 211th trope and eleventh, twelve and thirteenth 15th Amendment, what's I like the fact that they said that it wasn't a radical uh, tear-down build-up. It was just they kept amending the Constitution to they created their own system. That was an interesting idea, I thought. Um, let's see what happens next. So next, uh, watching, dinner, watching, watching TV, eating dinner, talking about how uh, recently their son, Harrison Bergeron, was taken away uh, by the government for being a revolutionary radical. What's I um,
1: 14 years old, I believe, is when he was uh, kidnapped.
0: 14-year-old and already rested by the government. What a lesson. <laughs> living, the, living the dream, man. But I, don't, I don't want to spoil it too much of it. I just kind of want to get overview, a little overview of it. Um, it's forced equality to the extreme. We're talking to clothes. We're talking if your, your brain works faster when you're smarter, you have a device around your head that will sound the noise every 20 seconds to prevent you from focusing. It's a really absurd version of forced equality, not by raising everybody up, but lowering everybody to the common standard. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't want to spoil it too much because I think there's some cool parts that people will enjoy the week for themselves, but yeah, it's definitely worth it. I mean, five pages these people, it's very easy to get into. You knock it out in five minutes.
1: I yeah. agree because I think that the that i simply talking about the fact that tall people wear weights to make them shorter and smart people have like devices that slow down their like thinking you don't actually have to talk much where we don't have to talk much about the, uh, the like climax or anything because that concept itself is so like self explanatory and it, it invites, uh, conversation and like imagination just by itself to think about a world that's so absurd that you're not allowed. Like, I, I think the most, um, profound, Example of forced equality is like one of the ballerinas is too beautiful. So she wears like a mask to distort her mm-hmm. face and uh, That reminds me actually uh, I recently I've been going through and re uh, I reread free to choose by Milton Friedman and I'm re-watching the the accompanying PBS documentary Great and series. I,
0: it's on Amazon to yeah, it uh, out, Amazon
1: video Yeah, on video and it's actually also on YouTube. So mm. it, it's really easy to watch um, and one thing that Milton Friedman talks about and so it's worth noting that this short story was published in 1961 so this is obviously in the heat of the Cold War and um, the Cultural Revolution and America is kind of slanting towards the left wing of the political spectrum and so Harrison Bergeron talks about forced equality and to go back to Milton Friedman and one of the I think created equals the name of the episode that I'm referring to he talks about well not everyone's equal obviously Muhammad Ali he's a great boxer and one of the examples he uses which is kind of funny is he talks about a uh, I believe a model or an actress's legs where he's like well we all enjoy Muhammad Ali's boxing we all enjoy this actress's legs does that mean that we're not equal um and Harrison Bergeron kind of expands on that uh ideological foundation to its most absurd end possible
0: oh yeah absolutely it was a Again, I was, I was reading it, and all I was thinking was like, this is uh, someone from 1984, made it sort of, and made it an absurd take. I've like, like, only explained how absurd the idea of true public equality is, but mm. the fact that the implementation of it would be ridiculous. I will say one of the quotes I pulled from the book that I really enjoyed was the mm. conversation between the uh, wife and George. I, I do not write down the wife's name, but um and George and wife started you could just take it off sometimes, you know, you could just be a, remove some beats so i to make it lighter. And then mm-hmm. goes to this whole part, like if I got away with it, other people get away with it, and right back in the dark ages, immediately. Yeah. And it's just like, that's just how most people think about, like, any law or any system they have now. It's like, if we don't, everyone, not everyone follows it, we're back in the dark ages. Even if the law we yeah. weird, immediately God respects everything. It's like, really, so maybe seeing the COVID lockdown policies. Mm-hmm. There it was
1: yeah, um, Yeah, kind of on that thread, um... There's two moments, that one and then later on, where they talk about how all of these policies are enforced at gunpoint.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, which, that's, that's what I think a lot of ideologues or utopian thinkers of the left wing uh, misunderstand, and this is something that Hayek, uh, Hayek talks about in The Road to Serfdom, is in order to have a truly socialist society, you can't be a socialist to enact it. You can't be... Uh, peaceful or egalitarian or pacifist to make everyone equal in any kind of capacity because I mean, the, this um, Harrison Bergeron throughout the whole book, they're talking about um, really how things want to get back to normal. Like their, their brain doesn't cooperate. Their, uh, the society doesn't want to cooperate. And it's being enforced uh, through a monopoly of violence and through uh, gunpoint. And no matter how the intention of any kind of central planner or the, uh, the government and Harrison Bergeron, you know, you, you can do that with the intention of equality, which I don't think many people would say that at face value or at a dictionary's definition is a bad thing. In order to achieve it, you're actually going to do really heinous things and, and have to use force in the name of these good intentions that you have.
0: Absolutely. I would say that was one of the points I think that I think a lot of people need to understand that every time the law... Remember, there's a law that means it's being enforced at a form of violence at gunpoint. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and, and I remember I was in a conversation with, say, a conservative person on Twitter one time. And she was wanting to, she was saying we need to make everything illegal, pretty much. I mean, she wanted to make contraception illegal. She wanted to make uh, gay marriage legal, All of it again. Mm-hmm. I was like, are you okay as people taking guns to enforce your will? And she was like, what are you talking about guns? Who has guns in this scenario?
1: <laughs> yeah, like, well, people don't over. typically do someone else's uh, bidding unless there's there's some threat of violence. People don't think about that.
0: Because ideas don't require force, you know. It's like something very basic, but most people just don't want to grasp that. So it's weird.
1: Yeah, and uh, speaking like adjacent to that, one of the big themes of the short story is just completely pitting, and this is not uncommon in any literary capacity, but uh, it's just nature versus uh, technology and nature versus uh, automation. There's really few examples of times that Vonnegut talks about uh, anything natural, born, grown. Um, and the times that he does, he one exact specific example is he talks about when Harrison Bergeron rips the what rips all the weights off of him he snaps it like a piece of celery or the the woman the empress and and Harrison are dancing and they look like deer but everything else that's associated with this you know tyrannical authoritarian government is radios and it's uh it's technology it's it's not natural there's like and it's so it's really kind of cliche at this point to talk about nature versus technology but i think that um. When you read a lot of more popular um, socialist or left-wing um, literature, they make it seem like, well, what's actually natural is cooperation and communal living. And they have this like, idea of the hunter-gatherer society where it's natural to not you know, have individualism or property rights or something. And Vonnegut just completely flips that around.
0: Yeah, I was, that was a nice thing, but I, I never really noticed it before pointed out, but you're absolutely right. It is very much a natural order versus unnatural order kind of thing, using yeah. nature as so a metaphor. It's very, I that's a, that's you point out, because like now, now you said it, I see that when I think about the story, and it's a, it's, but has you ever watched the uh, short film they made of Harrison Bergeron on YouTube?
1: No, actually, I haven't.
0: It's very good. I watched it this morning, because I was trying to get more racing on the story, mm-hmm. and I watched the uh, short story. Like a 30 minute video, easy to knock mm-hmm. out. Really good, really good movie. They got good actors, good budget. It's, I highly recommend anybody who's interested in the story after they read it, because you can always read the story before the movie. Uh, yeah. read the story, watch the movie, really puts it on a visual perspective. They, 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 didn't, they, they only sang like one thing and it was the ending. Oh, wow. Um, but well, it's uh, I definitely, I'll send, I'll send you a link after. It reminds yeah. me, a uh, link. I wanted to. We think this is an absurdist saying, the idea of true equality is a crazy saying. I'm going to send you a photo on Twitter. And I'm going to put this in the actual video. But we think of absurdism, like this, the idea of public equality really is an absurdism. And then we see photos like the one I sent to you and the one that's going to be on the screen. Did you get it yet?
1: Uh, no, I haven't. Er, okay, here it is. Okay, yeah, actually, I've seen this before. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's everyone in the room is the same height because they, they uh, are wearing stilts to be as tall as the tallest person.
0: Exactly, it's a height equality. It's a, it's like this, this book was when this story was going to be absurd as absurd, and then here we are actually seeing it happen. Almost just putting on stilts to make everybody the same height.
1: But yeah. In this case, they're,
0: they're raising people instead of lowering people, which is a little different. But still, it's pretty crazy.
1: Yeah, but even in like this picture, you can think that like the most heavily discriminated against person in that room would be the shortest person. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's like people aren't the same. That's, that's actually like, an incredibly useful and qu- good quality of human, human beings is like, we're very different. And our diversity is really what's like, I mean, created prosperity in a lot of ways.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so the also you seem to know a little bit about him. What was his name again? I didn't write it down.
1: Uh, Kurt Vonnegut. I actually, so I, I know about some of his work, but this is actually the only thing that I've personally read of his before. But uh, in that class that I took, I read a little bit about his uh, bibliography. And, uh, but again, that was like four years ago, so I don't remember too much about it.
0: Understandable, understandable. Um, I I had a question I wanted to ask you about the well. book. If you had to guess, what would be the two hundredth amendment? Ah, the two hundred and twenty-five they made.
1: Oh man, um, you know that's actually a really good question. Uh so I'm gonna pretend in my head that it's like so. The the actually the first line of the of the story it says, um, the year was two thousand and eighty-one. So that's a hundred and twenty years after the story was published, and I mean kind of crazy to think that it is quite literally uh what 60 years away from like this year so we're like we're halfway there um and in the time you know from then to now or from then to 2081 you know some 200 odd amendments have been passed and i i I thought i was like i wonder when they like abolished private property or i wonder when they you know passed an amendment that like owning a Dr. Seuss book was punishable by death. Like, you know, you can think at, you know, at a certain point, like if they're just passing amendments like that, there's absolutely no checks and balances in, in the Congress. And like, man, that's a good question.
0: There's got to be some really absurd ones along the way, you think.
1: Yeah, because you got to think that they probably passed an amendment saying that you know, well, physically speaking, you can never do a job that someone else couldn't do, like because you have to think that the, all of these absurdist rules about equality and your and body bodily autonomy, it started um, probably small. So like they probably said like, oh, well, we all have to be the same height, and then oh, we all have to be able to lift the same amount, kind of
0: thing. Absolutely. I want to point out the later in the story. There was the, the Instance where the, announce, the uh, announcer, the, or, or the show, couldn't even speak. He yeah, had a speech in uh, a stutter. And mm-hmm. Hazel, Hazel, the name of the uh, the wife, he yeah. tried. That's a big thing. He tried to do the best he could. It was what God gave him. He used to get a nice way for trying so hard. It's just like, <laughs> uh, I wish that's how it worked, honestly. I'd love to get a way for trying.
1: Oh, yeah. Well, that's, I mean, that's really if you boil down this this the themes of the story it's like our intention is to make everyone equal and i think to like an untrained ear someone that hasn't you know watched 10 hours of milton friedman's documentary (laughs) you'd say oh man that's like that's an awesome idea but uh one example i heard is uh i don't know if you have any siblings or not but my sister and i uh when we were kids and and let's say we had you know one thing like like we wanted to both play with whatever if we're arguing about it, our mom doesn't say, "Well, we'll get y'all both one." She says, "No, neither of y'all get to have it," and she takes it away. That's equality. That's actual equality. We none, none of us have it. That's, exactly. that's kind of the goal with what a, like capital or wealth or uh, property is, well, we're not giving everybody enough to be Elon Musk. We're taking away from everyone to be you know, dependent or, or, or just in poverty.
0: Exactly, exactly. One of the things I really enjoyed about the book was um, when you first hear Harris on wanting to overthrow the government, they're like, oh, cool. He's like a hero. He's a free sinker. He's an independent. And he gets on stage. He's like, no, I am the best. I am great. Everyone now worships me. I'm the greatest man alive. Is <laughs> this well, like I, that's, that's a... Right, go ahead. Go, go ahead. What was that?
1: Well, I was going to say, um, there's a lot of interesting things going on with, like, God symbolism. They talk about... Um, God, like uh, actually, again at the very beginning of the book, it talks or the short story, they say that not only were people equal in the eyes of the law and God, but also X, Y, and Z. So there's this interesting uh, seed planted about um, not necessarily like well, God exists and God X, Y, and Z, but in in uh, consistency with the Constitution or the Declaration of Independence, the ideal form of equality is equality before the law. Anything after that is unnecessary and uh for harrison bergeron to come out and say i am i am an emperor which i had forgotten that he said that and um when i read it i was shocked kind of like whoa you think this guy's going to be this egalitarian like and you know we're going to set up communes and we're going to distribute wealth and we're going to make sure x y and z but i think the way i'm choosing to interpret this which is like the most Ayn Randian possible way, which most of the time ends up being like the most fun kind of way to interpret things. Um, it's him being like, I'm gonna be the emperor of my own life. I'm gonna be uh the like I'm gonna define my own destiny. That's what he's saying by, by saying I'm the emperor. But I mean that's an interpretation of my own.
0: So I actually have that wrote down. This is like an iron Grand Hero type deal. That he <laughs> is the he understands what his own greatness is and chooses to be tied down and literally bound by society in this case.
1: Yeah, like it was, it's I'm it really
0: missing a land in this story.
1: You could say very easily that him taking off the weights is like Atlas shrugging. Like if mm-hmm. the, the symbolism is very similar that they're they're bogging him down and and one of the strangest devices they use is they actually distort his vision. His vision's too good, so they put disorienting glasses on him and, and all of it gets sh- shrugged like quite literally like Atlas.
0: Mm-hmm. It was a, a so not a really good like powerful imagery powerful take like, all of it. So it's really yeah i can't recommend it enough to people i'm gonna put a link for it let's see if i've been seeing broke down here oh um this must be the future where feminists took over because i think everybody weigh about 300 pounds
1: <laughs> well and also <laughs> the heard? president or the the general handicapper is a female which is interesting
0: I will say, I will, I will say, that was an interesting point they made that the, the president's the one who, uh, the, well, spoiler warning, you know, the, the president's the one who made the final shot. Yeah. It was, it was weird to see a story where the president was actually on the ground in the situation. I wonder what Well, the, and
1: also, not just on the ground, but also like had a double barreled shotgun, <laughs> which is <laughs> pretty absurd that she just busts in. I can just imagine it in my head like some kind of Looney Tunes scene where the door like blows down. And the president standing there with this shotgun and just it's like, uh, quite a tangible authoritarian figure.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think that's about all I wanted to go over. You got anything else you want to add?
1: Um, you know, uh, two things just really quickly. Uh, we talked earlier about the, like the role of nature and, uh, and how it's contrasted and also how nature and, uh, and the short story is symbolic of, uh, really kind of defiant. Uh, the short story starts with Hazel crying and she doesn't know why. And that's actually how it ends is that she's she's crying. So it's like uh, tears are a natural part of existence and they occur naturally and nothing they can do will stop her from crying. The only thing they can really do to uh, debilitate that is prevent her from remembering or understanding why she's crying. So there is just a sense of like human spirit enduring through all of the automation uh, which I think is part of what makes, like, the symbols and the themes of this short story so endearing. Um Also, this is, I feel like this could be, like, its own thing, but I'll just say it really quickly. Uh, I'm I'm reading through The Constitution of Liberty by Frederick Hayek, and he talks, I mean, ex- like the first 200 pages are just all about liberty and coercion, and, like, It's interesting. If you read the book and you're you're an ANCAP or something, I think that you would get turned off by like the first 10 pages because he essentially says, um, well, we can't eliminate all coercion. So we might as well limit it to its most fundamental and essential level, which I think is just foundationally different from any ANCAP I've ever met. Um, Which really is. Yeah, but but he goes on to say if you can get past that. And uh, it's really he has some interesting stuff about the role of coercion. And like, really, I'm going to add my own thoughts to this and kind of build off what his argument was. But a part of freedom and a part of uh, liberty and and responsibility associated with that is just failure and bottoming out. Uh, I'm I know like in North Korea, it's illegal to be homeless. They will put you in prison. But in America, we have like a rampant homelessness problem. But I think that that problem is actually demonstrative of our liberty because we're allowed to fail and we're allowed to just you know, pull out of society. And in Harrison Bergeron, their, people are so coerced and so controlled and so planned that they, I mean, I don't think that you'd be allowed to just be homeless or be uh, completely just just take your life into your own hands and say, I'm, I'm retreating from civilization. I don't think that would be allowed. So it's kind of an, an odd, counterintuitive, uh, awful argument, but like sometimes your life failing and 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 not succeeding is essential to freedom and it's actually when you compare it to somewhere like north korea or the united states of harrison bergeron not even the worst possible scenario
0: no that's a good point yeah, uh, freedom to fail is a very big part of freedom itself
1: yeah um, and then taking responsibility for the failure too
0: That's a good point uh one, one more question then uh no actually not three more questions <laughs> One. Do you
1: recommend any book? What book would you recommend people read? Um. So, if we're staying in in the strain of like liberty or or kind of like more weighty philo- philosophical books that make you think, I would say The Gladiators um, by Arthur Kessler. He's known most predominantly for writing Darkness at Noon, which is an incredible book. I would argue it's much better than Gladiators, but I think if the if the target audience of this podcast or anyone that's listening is an ANCAP. I think it is a really interesting and challenging book for for that uh particular political philosophy for a couple of reasons. I'm not gonna go into that, but it's was super interesting, super challenging for me, and it made me think a lot about my like notions as as someone that's like ANCAP libertarian. Um that it was it was really, really well written. It's about the Spartacus rebellions uh that took place right before or Spartacus Rebellions right before Jesus was born. So it's like historical fiction. And then my personal favorite book, which I recommend to everyone, which is really short, it's like 90 pages, it's called Jesus' Son by uh, Dennis Johnson. That book is incredible.
0: Okay. Uh, second question. Favorite economist. We brought up Millionaire Freeman,
1: brought up Hayek. So I'm, yeah, I'm curious. <laughs> favorite economist. Okay. Um. So I'm going to completely discredit everything I've said so far. Um, <laughs> I've never actually read anything by murray rothbard and from what i can tell based on twitter interactions alone he's very compelling um so i am actually like uh, anatomy of the state is like on my bookshelf and it's going to be read soon um i will i will say i would not be who i am today in any way without milton friedman so he holds like a really special place in my heart because when i was like 15 um i started watching Uh, John Stossel on Fox Business and I was like oh wow this is way more compelling than like being a neocon and uh, so I started watching him and reading him and then I got into Thomas Sowell and more recently like maybe a year ago I started reading Hayek and I would say Hayek is probably my favorite um, economist just because I think there's a level of realism and compassion in in his uh, diagnosis of like what's wrong with socialism or what's wrong with Keynesianism or centrally planned economies that I think, is an outlier in, in the field of like libertarianism, considering it is a philosophy dominated by someone like Ayn Rand, who's, who I, I've read, uh, The Virtue of Selfishness. And it's like, I appreciate Hayek's uh, attention to the human suffering and, and his prescription for, for human suffering makes sense to me a lot. So I, w- I would say Hayek. I, I agree
0: with that. Uh, Hayek. I, I, I read of Hayek, he's much less of a... Put I think Rossbach is much more of an idealist. He proposed mm. a system of an actual like, cap type system, but mm. Hayek seemed much more like this is what's actually happening now. Much more of a realist. Where can like no, we can't get rid of all phones of uh and You know, we have to have mm. courts or something. So I think uh yeah. he's much more of a realist, which I think really is useful to read. You know, it's fun to, it's fun to read Rossbach, but really Hayek is much more helpful, I think.
1: Yeah, which. I I was really drawn to that when I read it, because I like I I was saying earlier about how I don't really enjoy getting into uh, beefs on Twitter or anything. It's like seeing an economist that is part of such. I mean, if you look at memes about like the political compass, the the libertarian right is always like this brutal, just like no heart, you know, let let them eat cake kind of attitude. And uh, I think Hayek really, really challenges that, which I appreciate.
0: Absolutely. Um. When, when you read Rothbard's Animated States, let me know because I'd love to have you on talk about that. It's one of my favorite books. It's the most okay. important book I've ever read. It's,
1: yeah, I, I might be on here with a Rothbard t shirt and Rothbard hat, and I'll, <laughs> and I'll be like, after hi, I, after I read it.
0: I, I made a t shirt a while ago that says Democracy is Friends, and on the back it said Read some Rothbard. And so I'm a, <laughs> bit, of a bit of a Rothbard fanboy, I guess. Okay, awesome so uh where can people find you on twitter if they uh want to follow you see more of your inspiring weight loss journey and uh uh, other other core takes and posts you make
1: um yeah so my uh my twitter is grayson wayne 95 which i had to look up i completely forgot what my handle was um (laughs) that's if i if i'm mumbling or if that wasn't clear it's uh grayson which is um the first robin i'm a big batman fan it's robin his name's dick grayson oh yeah grayson and then it's batman's last name bruce wayne so it's wayne so grayson wayne and then i was born in 95 so 95
0: so now i gotta ask what you want a batman so actually now i have to ask dick grayson your favorite
1: robin or uh well um so actually it's funny i think dick grayson's my favorite batman uh i don't know Mm -hmm. if you've read any of the um Uh, back in like 2011, the DC Comics did this Batman RIP story arc where they killed yes, Batman. I- and I mean it was like Dick Grayson was born in like 1939, and his whole arc is like becoming Batman essentially. And it finally was realized, and uh, and I really love all of those. There's a really great uh, series called Streets of Gotham, which uh, is not even really about him, but it's during that period. But my favorite Robin is actually Tim Drake, who does not get any love in any kind of media.
0: Same here. Tim Drake is the best Robin. the you know, he yeah. figured out Batman's identity without watching TV. You know, yeah, he's,
1: him and he's awesome. People, I mean, if someone just watched like the, the big screen movies and even like the DC uh, animated stuff, they would be like, "Tim, who? Don't, are you talking about Jason or Damien? It's like, no, Tim's the best Robin. He has he a bow staff. He's awesome. Um, everyone should love Tim Drake. That's walk away from this Harrison Bergeron <laughs> podcast knowing that Tim Drake is the best Robin.
0: Oh yeah, and every, also if you listen to this podcast, you might as well go read that Batman story. Nightwing being Batman has some amazing moments, like he's yeah. talking out Alfred. one scene, my favorite one, he's talking to Alfred about being Batman. He's like, "I hate the cape. First thing I got right up was the cape, I can't, <laughs> can't, I can't, I can't yeah. my balance. It's a yeah, really he, good uh, uh, story."
1: He's not. He doesn't like how it throws off his weight. That's why Nightwing didn't have a cape.
0: Oh yeah, it's a really, it's a really. If you, if you like Batman lore, Nightwing coming Batman with Damian Wade not really respected him, and the yeah. whole, the whole story there, very good probably best batman story i the past past uh 10 years no when to come out
1: yeah 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 i would say so
0: okay. well this has been a lot of fun i hope to have everyone again talk about wasp bottle really if they didn't want to come on just send me a book i'll go through it and we'll come on anytime you want it's been a lot of fun yeah I
1: man i um i was in a graduate program for literature and for a couple reasons i'm not in it this semester so i've been reading more than i ever have in my life and talking about it less than i ever have in my life so this is a lot of fun to come on in, uh, and kind of scratch that itch.
0: But well, I could help. <laughs> yeah, well, this has been the uh, Libertarian uh, Book Club. I hope everyone has a had a good time. And remember, go read Harrison Bergeron. It's really good. Goodbye, everybody.